Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Religion is passed down. It actually began in 1970. 2,000 people belonging to 360 families. That's rare to do any kind of a study with that proportion amount of people. They tracked this multi-generational sample for not just a few weeks or a few months. They tracked them for over three decades. I'm talking about an epic study. They were all from Southern California, so in one sense, I think they have at least very similar to the mindset that we have. Now, the purpose of the study was how well are we doing as families in replicating ourselves, discipling our children and our grandchildren? They did the study based on six different groups, five religious, one not religious. Which group or groups had better staying power between the generations? Now, they weren't trying to assess the validity of the teaching. And we uh, would have some issues with some of the, the teaching for sure. But, which group is doing a better job at transferring their beliefs? In 1970, parents from the five faiths represented had a relatively high level of adult children embracing the same religion. We have a graphic here. Hard to maybe see it really. But um, the, in 1970, the adult children who were actually doing the same faith, the Protestants, uh, mainline Protestants were only down at 59%, and the Jews at 94%, pretty remarkable really. 35 years later, what would happen to those who in 1970 were following, but now 35 years later, only the Jews and the Mormons stood up with more than 80% of the family carrying on the faith. The worst of the group, unfortunately, were the Catholics and the mainline Protestants, dramatic declines. In the middle was where we would fall as evangelical Christians. In that graphic there, you'll see that there is a 62% success rate or we might say at a one-third failure rate, which is tragic. And actually, as I mentioned last Sunday, that would even be higher because I'm convinced uh, that the failure rate is so high today for even evangelical Christians. Now, so these groups, especially the Mormons and the Jews, now when I say Jews, I'm not referring to biblical, Bible-believing, born-again people from Scripture. We're talking about Judaism, which is a far different animal for sure. 
And so they studied these two groups, the Jewish group and the Mormons, and said they've done such a superlative job in transferring the faith. What did they do? What were the things that characterized them transferring the faith? I mean, it would be terrible for us to spend all this time, all these resources, and then lose our children. And so as I read this study, it resonated with my spirit. They didn't offer any real uh, much thoughts and certainly no scriptures to back it up. And so I took these principles, six of them actually, as I culled from the report. I took these six features really of a faithful family, added some scriptural truth. And so I want to offer those to you this morning. I will say this is going to be very full message. There's a lot of ground to cover. And so write as fast as you can, think as fast as you can, and then get the podcast or watch the, the service again. I'm reminded of a senior pastor who was doing a children's sermon one day at his church. He decided to talk to the kids about how a pastor writes a good sermon. And so uh, his hope was that maybe some of these children would someday be inspired to go into the ministry. And so in front of the children, he said, what do you think makes for a good sermon? Of course, the little hand shot up. Yes, Johnny, what is it that makes a good sermon? He said, well, a sermon that's good has a good beginning. Well, that's right, Johnny. We call that the introduction. And so uh, that's very important to have a good introduction. He said, what else do you think uh, makes up for a good sermon? And so one little girl raised her hand and she said, he said, yes, what would that be? And she said, it has to have a great ending. Oh, you are so right, little Sue. It needs to have a good ending. That's called the conclusion, a good introduction and a good Conclusion, is there anything else? Well, little Billy raised his hand. He called on him. Yes, Billy. He said, well, I know that you don't do it this way, Pastor, but an introduction and a conclusion should be as close together as possible. (laughs) Out of the mouth of babes, I'll tell you. Now, I cannot promise that my introduction and my conclusion are going to be that close. But I can promise you that the sermon will end at some time. And hopefully you will be inspired to be a courageous parent. And that's my prayer. If there's a message I would love to leave with you, it would be last Sunday and this Sunday. And should I, the Lord take me home this week, I would want to give it all I had and leave these two messages. These messages to me are epic uh, landmark messages for our families, something so dear to my heart. Let's all bow for prayer. Father, Lord, I so hunger to transfer this to these precious saints. Lord, these people, bless their hearts, have got up out of their lives and come down here. Thank you, Lord, and I'm grateful for them doing that. And for those that are watching, Lord, they've taken their opportunity to listen in, please. Now, Lord, don't Leave us. Don't leave us empty. Holy Spirit, we invited you in during the worship. I invite you again. 
to finish with us, finish strong, please, this message. Amen. Six features of a faithful family. What were they? What group? What did they do to transfer the faith to their children? Number one, there was warmth and affirmation. There was no actual one single factor about whether that just absolutely stood out, whether success or, fam or failure in the family. However, there was one thing in the interviews that they did, a common trait among successful families. What they discovered is that the parental piety or commitment, level of commitment, does not make up for the damage of a harsh or an angry mom or dad. In other words, almost like an equation, the less warmth or kindness in the family, the less likely the children will go on to carry on the family faith tradition. That being said, let's look this morning at how some Bible families created a nurturing atmosphere. Let's go to Genesis chapter 49. And in Genesis chapter 49, the Holy Spirit gives us a wonderful poetic poem. God, speaking through Jacob, mentions each of his 12 sons, yes, 12, in the famous blessing passage. And we'll not take time to go over all the different blessings. They're amazing, though, very poetic and beautiful. But I want you to notice one of them in verse 28 of that chapter. And look at it. In fact, um, why don't you read that verse with me out loud, all right? Just say it out as we go along. Verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is that their father spake unto them and blessed them, everyone according to his blessings he blessed them. Now I want you to notice two features of this affirmation. First of all, he spoke to them. He spoke the words to his son. Now, as parents, it's so easy to get tunnel vision, to get so task-oriented that we just hurtle through life without taking time to actually acknowledge, speak to our children. And when we talk to them, let's talk to them. And let's not just talk about them or around them, but talk to them. Let's be polite and not grunt or command all the time. Learn to ask open-ended questions. These are questions that encourage them to respond back to us. We could say to little Johnny, hey Johnny, did you have fun at the party? Yes, no. Or we could ask an open-ended question. What part of the party did you like best today? And that elicits them to talk back to us a bit. Speak to our children. Every child ought to have a time with mom or dad, at least a few words every day where we could speak to them. He spoke to them, number one. Then number two, it says he blessed them. He blessed them. Now, sometimes we bless people <laughs> in a negative way, but I'm talking about positive words. Now, there's nothing wrong with being negative. The Bible actually is quite negative in tone at times, not all of the Bible. But I will say this about the negative things that are in scripture, like the commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. 
I never feel negative after reading the negative things. It's strange. That's because it has the power of the Holy Spirit behind it. But I will say this, always speaking in the negative to our children is not going to be pleasant. We need to learn to be positive. Instead of always just saying don't, like don't drop that glass or don't run inside the house, how about something a little bit like only walking inside the house, please, or hold on to that glass now. It's a very special glass or it's very fragile. Just a, a little thought there can help. That's what Jacob did. He spoke to them. He spoke with a blessing. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. Our Lord Jesus, ever the perfect teacher, was clarifying a topic that many people are confused about. Hard to understand why they're so confused. Uh, as Jesus spoke very clearly about it, he was trying to clarify the subject of divorce and remarriage. And there were some people looking for loopholes. And so Jesus talked to them. And on the cusp of that, right after that finishes, notice what it says in verse 13. Parents come from everywhere. All these children show up. And what do they want? It doesn't appear that they're sick, actually. It just seems as though they wanted Jesus to touch their child. Look at verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. Touch them. Just place his hand on them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. Jesus didn't pay any attention to that. And look at verse 16. He took them up in his arms. He put his hands on them. Imagine the blessings of having Jesus touch your child or put your child on his lap. Blessing. He blessed them, it says. We're not talking about an after-dinner prayer or saying the prayer. It is a meaningful touch on the arm, on the hand, a little touch on the head. All the power of hugging and touching our family. They, there's actually a lot of science about this. I was reading this week. One of the hormones is oxytocin is released just by hugging. Amazing power. They say that many studies have been done how it affects the body positively. It affects the brain positively, the emotions. In fact, I read one little excerpt of a study. It said it appears to even change the actual chemical DNA of a child. And they have some different studies, but I'll tell you, it is absolutely amazing. The value of just touching our children, creating warmth and affirmation in the family. If we want to have a family that passes and takes our faith, we need to love them. We need to reach out and hug them. And if we always can't, you know, reach out and never forcing them, of course, but sometimes the, and some of them aren't as touchy as the other ones are. But I will say this that we can always give our children, as they call it, a verbal hug. I love you. Three little words that are so powerful. Warmth and affirmation. Of course, tone makes a big difference. The tone that we speak in to be warm and our face. All of these communicate warmth, personal acceptance, affirmation. Folks, if we want our children, our grandchildren to have the faith that we have, we've got to be warm, kind, loving, affirming people. Never, of course, uh, uh, or, uh, 
getting behind their sin, but always just standing warmly. We have a beautiful little granddaughter by the name of Anastasia. Anastasia is, I think, five now, maybe six. But she has some developmental issues in some areas. But it's interesting to me how God so often compensates and she in the other areas of her life, she is at top of the class for sure. She has this gift of warmth and affirmation. In fact, so much so, when they go to stores, they have to be very careful because if they're not watching her, she'll be walking around the store, talking to everybody. She'll be in somebody's arms and uh, she just is such an affirming person. And I will tell you, we cannot wait until she gets just a little bit older and she's gonna be a church greeter. And I promise you, there's gonna be people from all over the county just come to get a hug from Anastasia. And uh, because of that great affirming, folks, I will tell you, it is powerful to love somebody and to be warm to them. In the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 27, Isaac unknowingly blessed Jacob thinking it was, he was Esau. And look at this little passage in verse 27. And he came near and kissed him. That was, that's pretty warm. That's pretty loving. And he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field which the Lord hath blessed. Let people serve thee, verse 29, and the nations bow down. Talk about affirming son Nations are going to bow down to you. That's casting a very positive future. Now, normally, it wouldn't be considered very nice to say that someone smelled like an old field out there. And that's what he said. But what he was saying was, son, you're like a rich agricultural field with all of its wonderful crop. And you're going to feed many. You're so successful. And he was just reaching out to them in just such love. Folks, I promise you, anger and uh, hatred and uh, bitterness in a home is the death knell for faith transfer. Now, we have talked uh, so much over the last few years or heard so much about this pandemic. Well, I will tell you the greatest pandemic of all in our families, and that is the anger pandemic. Homes are angry homes. It is so widespread. Now, all of us struggle. You can't have children. You can't have a home. You can't have a marriage without sometimes struggling in this area. And with these babies and toddlers, you might have considered yourself a pretty patient person. But your children can press you in ways you never imagined. Well, do I remember some of those exasperating episodes? One time especially is burned into my mind. There were, I was giving three of the younger children a bath, helping, trying to help Lynette, but it wasn't going well. It usually didn't when I was doing that, but um, I was trying to help. When all of a sudden there, I noticed the weirdest looking stuff ever. They looked like strings of white stuff just going everywhere. It was in their hair. It was in the water. It was on the little wall there. And then I realized what had happened. Earlier that day, I had put butyl caulk around the whole edge of the, the bathtub there. And that stuff, it's not latex, doesn't dry very fast. 
And it, they had taken it in their fingers like that, and they had wiped it on each other. I tried to get it off them, but it doesn't wipe off. It just smears everywhere. And so they were wiping on each other, they were wiping it on the wall. I was going crazy. <laughs> you say, well, pastor, did you keep your cool? Well, they're still alive, I can say that. And, uh, <laughs> but no, I didn't keep my cool. I, I had to take care of it, washed them up, I had to take mineral spirits and thinner and wash their hair. Then when it all dried, I had to go back and scrape all that caulk off, reapply it. Oh, you talk about crazy. But I will tell you folks, kids will push you, but I, here's the point I'm trying to make. Yes, they will push us, but we cannot allow ourselves to have constant unhealthy anger. We're gonna blow up now and then, we gotta ask forgiveness. But let me tell you what anger does to our family. Number one, it grieves the spirit. Ephesians 4 and verse 30. It is driven by the flesh. Galatians 5 and verse 20. It never fixes the problem. James 1 and verse 20. It injures people. Proverbs 12 and verse 18. Look at this verse. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Folks, if you want to destroy the health of your home and destroy hearts, then just speak angrily and have anger in the home. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, we just got to sit around and all have this zen-like quiet. No, for a father to have that kind of quietness when his teenage son is talking back to mother, you've missed the point. We need to make sure that we stand strong and work for peace in the home. Number one, there was warmth and affirmation. Number two, there was involvement by the dad. If we want to transfer the faith, dad has to be involved. Now, historically, not biblically, mothers usually have been the keepers of the faith. They've been known to take the children to church more often than the father. But in this study... The sample showed a stark difference in the religiosity of the children and the young adults who had a close relationship with their dad and those that didn't. For example, those who had a close relationship with their dad, 67%, two-thirds that is, carried on the family tradition, whereas less than half if they had little or no relationship with the dad. Now let me just say, I know that some are single moms and dad's not in the home but uh, you, God can make up for that. But I want to show you a couple in the Old Testament. Look at Noah. Here God all set to destroy earth due to humanity's overwhelming evil. Noah tasked with building an amazing vessel to carry him, his family, the food, and a bunch of animals. So God was going to start a whole new thing. But look at verse 7 of chapter 7. And Noah went in. And Noah went in. He said, all right, Lord, that's what you want me to do. I'll do. And his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him said, no way. We're not going into that big old stinky thing. No, they went in. Now the world didn't much care what Noah was doing. In fact, they pretty much just blew him off. But his family followed him. Why would his family follow him? Well, we know why, because it says in the previous chapter, chapter 6, verse 9, because Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and he walked with God. 
It doesn't say he ran, doesn't say he sprinted. It just says he walked day by day, following God's commands implicitly. How could he do such a thing? His energy, his passion, his whole life was about building God's ark. When we have that kind of daily, steady grind in our family, we inspire them. Another example is Joseph, Jesus is dead. You talk about a phenomenal father, a great picture, one of the most transformational fathers of the Bible. Consider this, Mary, Jesus' mother, was pledged to, G to Joseph, and uh, they weren't quite married yet, and then find out that she was pregnant. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. But look what happens. God speaks to Joseph, and he answers. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, he was a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But when he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. He just followed. He just kept doing what he was supposed to be doing. He followed and did what God wanted him to do. And as a result of that, he made a huge difference as a father. What does a father do? Four aspects of a father's involvement. Number one, a father's involvement can be powerful. Courageous dads have more than big muscles or a booming voice. They have moral courage. If you would like to get into and have a wonderful Bible study sometime, find out in the Bible how many times God uses the word I will or we will. Like Joshua who said, as for me and my house, we will. How many I wills, that will, that iron will that says, no, this family's going to serve God. When a dad says, we're going to serve God. I'm reminded of the great sermon by D.L. Moody, the seven I wills of Christ, where he showed that Jesus set his face like a flint. He was a man of a iron will. Do we have an iron will? When a man has a iron will for God, he is, makes a big difference. His strength can be powerful. A father's words can be inspirational. Paul came to Corinth in Acts chapter 18 and verse number 8. He wanted to speak in the synagogue, but things were going every which way, so it didn't work out. And so the pastor, the, uh, the rabbi there of the, the ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, look at verse 8. It says, he invited Paul. He said, come on next door. He lived next door to the synagogue, and he said, you can speak in my house. And so that's what they did. Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. Now, how, why did his whole family follow him? Because Crispus was serious about the Lord. He, he was serious about his faith. Now, folks, I love peanut butter. I love peanut butter. I mean, I just, I love peanut butter on my ice cream. I love it on my bread. I love it all. You, now, I mean, I just love peanut butter. It has to be the natural kind, but I love peanut butter. Now, why do I love peanut butter? Because my dad loved peanut butter. I can still recall seeing him in the kitchen, go there to the cupboard, get the peanut butter, get up, cut out there, get a slice of old white bread, put it on that thing, and then he'd fold it over. He never cut it. He just cut it, he just folded it over, grab it like that, and 
I just, he inspired me. A father's strength is powerful. A father's words or actions are inspirational, even in peanut butter. And a father's smile can be instrumental. The power of a father's countenance is amazing. Look at the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 23. God says, a north wind drives away rain. And boy, they do. A strong north wind can just blow those clouds out. And so doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. Solomon said you can't always say something to someone who's gossiping. But sometimes even though you don't say something, your face can speak volumes. And he, take the opposite of that. Not only can it stop a backbiting tongue, but I think it can affirm others when we have this beautiful countenance of warmth and just a smile. You know, smiling is a language in, that everybody understands. Did you know that I could speak Russian? Did you know that? Here you go. Did you know I speak Mandarin? I do. There you go. In every language, a smile is the same. It always says the same thing. And when you smile to your child, that is saying, I love you. I care about you. You're important to me. Mother Teresa once said, we shall never know all the good even just one smile can do. A father's words, number four, a father's correction can be foundational. One good word, loving correction from a father can be so helpful. Abraham was commended as a great leader. He was a inspirational commander of his family. His foundational beliefs changed not only his family, it changed the nation. For that matter, the world has been different because of Abraham. Look at what he was. Genesis 18, 19. Now what was different about Abraham? Was it just that he had this special gift, that he was a great speaker? No, it just simply says, verse 19, God speaking of his character, I know Abraham, I know him. He will command his children. I mean, I know Abraham. This man is not going to just float through life like a glorified cheerleader. You know, he is going to command, he's going to instruct his family. It goes on to say, they shall keep the ways of the Lord. Now, one additional thought here. A father's great love but also a mother. When a mother gets behind the dad, that's like a one-two punch. I'll tell you what, old smutty face, the dad gives him a right cross, mom gives him an uppercut, and he's gonna be flat on his face when a family really serves the Lord together. Number one, warmth and affirmation. Number two, involvement by the dad, and I must hurry. Number three, organize religious gatherings. In order for faith to really be transferred, they must strive to serve God. In fact, when they strive, they thrive. That's what Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 5. And if a man also strive for the masteries, yet he is not crowned unless he strive lawfully, faithful, regular, active, church membership, serving God, just that is such a powerful predictor of people turning out to have the same faith. 
When church becomes so regular and so consistent and so active that it becomes part of the DNA of the family, you can be sure that's going to be passed on. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He is giving a great account of his ministry. And he said, you know, I really didn't have the chance to baptize a lot of you because I was so busy on studying and preaching and ministering and evangelizing. But he said, I did baptize one group. And notice what he said in verse 18. He talks about the household of Stephanus. And I baptized the whole household of Stephanus. Folks, when a family gets baptized together, that family is going to stick together. That is a powerful thing to be an active part of a family-centered church. And then you become a church-centered family. When you do that, it is amazing. You'd say, well, a church has you know, got problems. Yes, churches have problems because they're filled with humans. But I will tell you, nothing, no organization, no group, no club, no school, nothing comes close to the power of a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church as a cohesive glue for that family. Folks, please listen to me. I beg you, get into church. Don't just fiddle around with it. Get in there, get baptized like the household of Stephanas. Become members, get busy, get your children there every time the doors are open. Folks, if you want your family to have the faith that you have, be part of organized religious gatherings. Number four, there was home teaching. Now in this study, they found that there were two groups that were superlative in their home teaching. The Jews and the Mormons. The Mormons oftentimes would have a home family evening. They would discuss their beliefs. The Jewish people did an excellent job and I'll show why that is the case. But the Bible is clear. So many people had home Bible time. Look at Elkanah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 19. It says they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord. Here is the husband of Hannah, father of Samuel. They had just had a great Bible conference for several weeks. And yet, before they would go back to their home, they took time to worship the Lord. Dad sat them all down and said, look, we got to travel. We got to get all the donkeys, got to get everything. But I'll tell you something, we're not moving until we have Bible time. Then there was famous King David. Everybody knows David is a great warrior. One took down Goliath, led a nation. Yes. But did you know that he was a man who led his family? Scripture tells us about that. Second Samuel chapter 6 and verse 18, as soon as David had made an end of the offering of the burnt offerings and the peace offering, so here he is, he's a religious leader for his nation. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord of the Lord of hosts. Amen. He blessed the people. But then notice the next verse, or verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household. Imagine that. Can you imagine just about any politician you know taking time out? to have family Bible time? Well, that's what David did, cleaning up the breakfast dishes and getting Pastor Luke's book on uh, ready-made devotions for the Father. Why were, why were the Jewish people so effective at that? Because for thousands of years, they followed Deuteronomy chapter 6, and they taught their children when they woke up, when they were walking along the way, 
That's what God tells us to do. For much of Jewish history, the main teaching was done by the dead. Now they would go to the synagogue, but the dead was the primary teacher. And mom, of course, followed along. Folks, that is so clear that the Bible gives that. Genesis chapter 26, the Bible says that Isaac, he, great patriarch. Why was he such a great patriarch? Well, look what it says he did. He built an altar and he pitched a tent there. Folks, I'll tell you, if you will build an altar where you pitch your tent, God will meet with you. Do you have a family altar? Looking back, I will tell you this. I don't think that I really realized the incredible power of that decision that I made years ago. When Luke, and he was, oh, maybe five or six, I think, or something like that, and the other ones were coming up, I made a decision to have family Bible time. And for 30 plus years, three to five times a week, I would take about 30 minutes and have family Bible time. And I don't think I realized the incredible power. It wasn't fancy. It wasn't all. I just took the Bible. We'd sing maybe one song. We'd have maybe a doctrinal word, maybe a vocabulary word. Then I would just take a passage. We went through the book of Proverbs several times, went through several of the Gospels, went through the book of Acts, went through some of the Old Testament historical books. But I do not rethink that I don't, I don't, as I look back, that decision to do that made such a huge difference in our children's lives. If my dad thinks the Bible and serving God is so important that we don't do anything else until we take a few minutes to serve the Lord like that, folks, people often ask me, what do you think is the one thing that would help your family? And I would say, if dad will get and lead the family devotions, it will be transformational. I mean, you may not be able to do it in the morning. You may have to do it in the evening. But I will tell you, if mom, and I think even if you're a single mom, you can do the same thing. Number five, there were multi-generational families together. Jewish children especially would hear Saba, grandpa, leading in the family prayers. Twice a day, they quote Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glorious kingdom forever. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. They have found that when you have all these layers, aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and parents all serving the Lord, all within the ability to talk to one another, it is powerful. And that's what it says in Proverbs 11 verse 14. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. It's safety because it adds weight to what dad is saying. If I say something and then grandpa says something and grandma says the same thing and aunt says the same thing and uncle say the same thing, that has power, has weight. All these wonderful layers of solidarity and it gives perspective when maybe there's some minor differences. Oh, the power of positive peer pressure. Positive peer pressure. Use peer pressure for good. When I was growing up, I tried to defend my bad actions one time to my dad. I said, Dad, everybody's doing it. He said, and he destroyed my excuse. 
He said, well, they're all jumping off a cliff. Would you do that too? Well, no, Dad, I wouldn't do that. 1 Samuel chapter 20, David was trying to give Jonathan, his friend, an excuse to tell his dad why he couldn't go to the feast. One that would be believable. And so he said, well, tell your dad that I'm going to be at the family prayer time, the family feast. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 6. If your father missed me, then say, David earnestly asked of me leave that he might run to Bethlehem, the city, for there is a yearly sacrifice for the whole family. Folks, they had a family revival. I mean, oh, okay, David always does that. God told the Old Testament prophet in Joel chapter 2. He said, tell the people, if they want the favor of God, they have to gather the whole family. Joel chapter 2, verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. A solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble who? The older people. Gather the children. Those that suck the breast. God said, get everybody together. Now, folks, I want to tell you, I know, dear older people, I love you, all us boomers and others, <laughs> I love you. And I will say this, you've worked hard and you deserve every perk that's uh, due you. But I cannot imagine taking my life, moving to Florida, sitting there on an old chair, walking around in my stupid Bermuda shorts with a dumb-looking little poodle, talking to a bunch of blue-haired ladies, when I could be here serving God, serving my family, serving the Lord. That's what I want to do with my life. Folks, that's what we need to do. There needs to be generational faith. When you finally have brains, you move off to Panama and so you can drink your little pineapple juice. Come on, folks. Have a better goal than that with your life. And then finally, serious piety. Serious. Absolute number one. Nothing can get past this. And that is your commitment must be to serve God. Absolutely. It has to be uh, the thing that just, that just moves you. The thing that uh, drives you. Why was Job so amazing? Well, people say, oh, he was a great man of patience. Well, he was. But look at Job chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, Job sent and sanctified his family, got, got up early. Thus, Job did continually. Someone once asked me, Pastor, I'm scared. I do not want to. I see so many church kids that don't turn out like the, right what would you say? I don't want to live all my life, have all these children, put all this money, and then have them just go off crazy. What would you say? And I, would, and I said this. Well, I'll be honest with you. Whatever floats your boat is what they'll, that's what they're going to go after. Look, Dad, if you're like this, okay, we're going to go to church. All right, let's, you know, read your Bible. All right, let's, let's, you know, go to choir. Okay, let's go fishing and, boy, man, and you're going to, let's go hunting and, what, what brightens your eye? Folks, whatever makes your pupils get bigger and makes your blood pressure kind of get going, that's what they're going to do. They're not going to do what you say. 
as much as what you're going to do. What, what is it that's the passion of your spirit? Is it sports? Is it drinking with the buds? Is it work? Then that's what's going to be theirs. But if your passion is God, is Jesus, I promise you, they may not all turn out perfect, but I will tell you one thing. They will know that that's what's important in life. That's what Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, it says in verse number 2, he was a devout man. He feared God. Here was this Roman great leader, and he feared God with his whole house. Folks, I believe our house will serve the Lord if it's what is the thing that is devout to us. I close with this little illustration. I want you to listen. Here's my closing. (laughs) My conclusion. I told you I'd get there. Years ago, we braved a snow trip with most of our nine children, ranging from the older teens down to the little ones. Going to the snow with seven or eight children is not for the faint of heart, I will tell you for sure. We decided we would get a tube and maybe slide down the hills. Wow, that is a crazy adventure with even keeping their gloves on, keeping their shoes on, keeping them from freezing. I mean, keep finding them, it's just crazy. But anyway, we did it. We tried at least. And we found a little place you could slide down the hill. And then we discovered a snow park. And there in that snow park, they had this little tow rope that all you had to do was grab onto it and it would pull you up the hill in a little inner tube. Once you got up to the top of the hill, you could just move over and slide back down. I was like, "Woo! this is the greatest thing in all the world. Hallelujah. Now, I thought of that in light of families. Yes, they can turn out right totally on their own. Yes, they can, we can just, you know, feed them and send them to school and hope for the best. What so many people do, most people do, frankly. But I would like to give them a tow rope. Because life's tough. It's an uphill climb. And sometimes you slide back. And it's awfully cold out there. And as a parent, I want to give them a tow rope to make it up the hill. And I believe these six principles are that kind of a tow rope that changes lives. Sadly, some people don't give them tow ropes. In fact, if anything, they put a chain around their children. And they go through life just having all this terrible weight and baggage. This morning, I believe, as we sang a few moments ago, I surrender. Lord, to you, I say yes. I'll be that dad. I'll be that mom. I'll be that family. I'll be that grandparent. I'll be that person to try to make a difference in the lives of others. Heads about and our eyes are closed. And ask our worship team to come. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church 
and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.